The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. Let's go ahead and pray. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the ways that you have given us unique roles and seasons of our lives to be placed in. And we know that you're a king, that you're sovereign over all. God, I pray today as we reflect, um, even with, with Daniel and his boldness, and we reflect on the places that you have us, um, that you allow us to worship you and that we would be bold. And I pray that in your name. Amen.
Thanks, Lindsay. Can we thank Lindsay for sharing today? I'll never forget uh, the date of Lindsay and Andre's wedding because it's the same day as my birthday. So we got to do my, their wedding on my birthday. It was, it was a lot of fun and just so thankful for them um, being a part of this, this church family. Um, if you're just joining us today, welcome. My name is Randall, um, pastor here, and uh, we are in a series right now called uh, Living as Exiles. And so it's been shared. We have one more week after this one. We're going to be looking at the book of Daniel. Um, but as we study this book, um, we've gotten to this place where uh, we've seen Daniel live um, in the midst of exile. And what that means is he's living in a way where he knows that Babylon is not his true home, but that there's an eternal home that he's living for and his his sight is set on, and so he's living uh, for God. And so our text today is from Daniel 6, uh, 1 through 16, and the message is God's work in all of life. God's work in all of life. As Lindsay shared, uh, our work and our faith come together. Uh, We can serve God in all areas, in all aspects of our life. Because one of the questions that we've been looking at as we've gone through this series and gone through the book of Daniel is, is what does it look like to be a Christian in everyday life? For some of us, we've settled on Christianity being on a Sunday morning experience, but not much to the effect of our daily life or our week. And so what does it look like to be a Christian in everyday life? And so with that question, we explore other questions like, how does my faith intersect with the way that I live, approach my work, make important life decisions? See, we see this particularly in the life of Daniel. Eugene Peterson once said this. He says, work doesn't take us away from God. It continues the work of God. God comes into view on the first page of our scriptures as a worker. Once we identify God in the workplace working, It isn't long before we find ourselves in our workplaces working in the name of God. See, what does it look like to have a theology of work? One book that's helpful that we have at our uh, resource area, and you'll have to come up and talk to me if you want this book. I'm going to be right up here after service. But I would love to give this to you. It's called Every Good Endeavor uh, by Timothy Keller and Catherine Leary Alsdorf, and um, this is about connecting your work to God's work. So there is a theology behind this, and it's a very helpful resource. So I want to encourage you, if you haven't read this, to read this. I'd love to give someone a copy today. But at the end of service every week, what do we say when service is done? We say, Gray City, your Grace City, you're? Yes, you're sent. Why do we say that? It's because if you went to church every Sunday, let's say your whole life, 
you'd be in service for maybe over 7,000 hours. But in comparison, you would spend over 96,000 hours at work. See, as Christians, how should we view our lives and in our work? Well, let me address just some common perspectives. For some of us, we've grown up thinking that work is just a necessary evil to life. It's just a part of the fall. We've got to work. But let me tell you that work was actually before the fall. That God gave work to Adam and Eve before the fall. For some of us, we think that work is just for our own personal gain. If I could just get as much of this world as possible, that is enough for me. Or we can do like Lindsay was saying earlier. We can kind of separate and say that, well, there's sacred things and there's secular things. And my work is definitely one of the secular things that doesn't have anything to do with my faith. But what does the scripture say? Well, quickly, I want to help us to build out a little bit of a theology on this. And the first one is this, that we are a called people. We're a called people. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 17 says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. So what we're talking about here is calling, right? So your first calling as a Christian is you are called to be a child of God. But there's also a calling that God has set you in this world to accomplish. See, we use this word vocation. Vocation. It's a Latin word that means to call or to summon is vocar. So it's from that root Latin word, but vocation. See, it's the difference between your occupation and your vocation. Scripturally, we have a vocation. One commentator on this verse says, Paul is not referring in this case to uh, church uh, ministries, but to common social and economic tasks, what we call secular jobs. We might say, in naming them, God's callings and assignments. Friends, you have an assignment. God has a calling for you. And so that follows the second one is this, that we are each called to ministry. One pastor, Dick Lucas, said, uh, it is often hard to get Christians to see that God is willing not just to use men and women in church ministry, but in law, in medicine, in business, and in arts. This is the great shortfall today. See, God works through his people. Designers, engineers, architects, artists, custodians, mechanics, police officers, judges, lawyers, Teachers, doctors, nurses, psychologists, therapists, scientists, and more. See, God brings dignity into your work. And what might be looked down on the, in the world for different work positions is actually honoring in the eyes of God. But it's the way that you look at it and the way I look at it. And lastly, we're called to the common good. One Bible scholar, uh, Bruce Walkey, points out that the Bible says that the very definition of righteous people is that they disadvantage themselves to advantage others, while the wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. How does that type of thinking work into the mind of Daniel? 
Now remember, scholars say that Daniel took his guidance from Jeremiah 29, which again, Jeremiah and Isaiah were contemporaries to Daniel. And so he's most likely taking guidance from reading passages like Jeremiah 29, which gave instructions for God's people to bless the city. That was God's instruction, was to bless the city, to love the place, to plant roots where God's placed you. Now, how does this all work out in the life of Daniel? Well, our text today is from Daniel 6, 1 through 16, as I said, and this was written in the 6th century B.C. Daniel, if if you're just learning, is is taken as a teenager uh, into captivity by King Nebuchadnezzar and placed eventually into his royal court. At that point, he'd seen different leadership positions throughout the years, and he'd seen the rise and fall and then rise of Nebuchadnezzar, and he'd seen uh, Belshazzar replaced Um, As we looked at Belshazzar, my friend uh, John preached last week on Daniel 5, uh, but replaced uh, by King Darius, who we see today. And throughout all of these transitions of leadership, Daniel was consistent and served God. Uh, Now, this won't be on the screen, but uh, one commentator, Ian DeGid, says the first point to observe in this chapter, in chapter 6, is that Daniel had learned how to live as a pilgrim. From the outset of his career in Babylon, Daniel was in the culture, but not of his culture. On the one hand, he didn't withdraw from Babylonian culture as far as he could in order to avoid being stained by it, but on the contrary, He had now served the empire faithfully for almost 70 years. Far from using his age as uh, in a way to exclude himself or to retire, uh, he, he continued to serve this new administration. So things are changing all around Daniel right now, but what we see is that he is consistent. And so how did Daniel live uh, for God in all of life, even in the changes that he experiences. Well, from the text today, we're going to break down three things that we see. The first one is there's a faithful presence. The second, an unshakable faith. And third, greater security. Faithful presence, unshakable faith, greater security. And so the first one, a faithful presence. Let's look at verses one through four. It says, It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with the three uh, administrators over them, uh, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps uh, were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Now, as mentioned, Up to this point, Daniel has served faithfully in Babylon for 60-plus years as an exile. He was an outsider. And in his old age, between 70 and 80 years old at this point, here's how Daniel is described. 
It says he had distinguished himself. Exceptional qualities. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Sinclair Ferguson says, yet another ruler discovered that the one man who he could trust implicitly was the man who served the God of the Jews. Even when others implied that Daniel was not to be trusted because he was one of the captives. Right, and so the leverage point for those who didn't like Daniel was, well, he's not one of us. But what they saw in Daniel was someone who was exceptional in every way. This was an ex- outstanding integrity and work ethic within Daniel. Now, when we think about integrity, what do we think about? It's not being duplicitous. It's not being one person one place and another person another, but he was the same person everywhere he went. And also, the work ethic of Daniel stood out so much that he, that the, the king, the new king, Darius, could trust him not to be negligent or corrupt. Now, why was this such a concern for the king? Well, probably up to this point, he had trusted people that were negligent and that were corrupt in character. See, the higher you rise in different positions and places, it's easier to surround yourself with people that will tell you exactly what you want to hear, but it's harder to find people of integrity and trust. And so Darius, up to this point, had learned his lesson, had seen this, and started to see the qualities that lived within Daniel. Now, how does this speak to us today? Well, uh, recently I went to my brother's uh, wedding. That's where I was last week. It was such a great time. But we were driving, and I saw this billboard. And here's what the billboard said. It's pretty simple. We show up to work. Wow. That's great. We show up to work. Why do they have to put that out there? Because currently in a culture, here's the bar. If you show up to work, that's a good day. That's the bar we have set. But the exceptional that they were putting out there, well, we show up to work. And here's the thing. We live in a culture right now, post-COVID, where we have a work-from-home culture, remote work, And we don't have many people looking over our shoulders like maybe before. And so what does that take? Integrity. A solid work ethic. Again, we were... uh, we're going through this book, Faith for Exiles, and I got this little group of, of uh, leaders that I'm, I'm working with, and we're working through this book together, and we get to the, the section on uh, vocation and, and discipleship, and we start reading through it together, and start squeaming a little bit, you know, a little, you know, tugging to the guys, and when one guy tells you, he just kind of splurts, he's like, I feel convicted right now. He's like, I can get my work done, Right? 
But he's like, man, I, I just feel like, okay, am I stepping up? If somebody were to look over my shoulder, and there are people, and we're putting this in the context of Daniel. Now, there's people that didn't like Daniel looking for any way to tear him down. They could not find anything. They're searching out his character. They're searching out every way to try and tear him down, and they couldn't find anything. In that book, Faith for Exiles, uh, Kinnaman and Matlock, they said this. They said, resilient disciples believe integrity in the workplace matters. This is no small thing. In a culture that values getting ahead at any cost, resilient disciples are so distinct from the norm. 89% say that Christians are called to do their work with integrity, no matter the type of work. Resilience are also much more likely to say that they uh, conduct themselves in the workplace knowing that others are watching. Christians should be the ones in every workplace who resolve conflict, help their coworkers deal with grief and loss, and shine a gentle light of truth on our brokenness as coworkers, bosses, and employees. What we see is that Daniel, God has developed in him an, an integrity that shines, that shines to people who did not believe the same things he believed. See, it was not a problem for Darius that Daniel believed in a different God. He's just like, I know that I can trust Daniel. He's a trustworthy person. And so what does that say about us today? For a faithful presence like Daniel, going through there, getting to the end of his life and having a shining example like this. The second one is this, an unshakable faith. Look at verses 5 through 10. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. They're buttering him up, right? Like they're like, all right, may, may, may you live forever. Like, you know, they're just, all right. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed. All? Okay. All agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the king's or the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows op opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. See, what, what happened here? Well, there's, there's a strategy. There's a strategy, and here's the strategy. That the rulers and leaders who didn't like Daniel, they turned from attacking his integrity to attacking his faith in God. 
No longer is it about his integrity anymore because we couldn't find anything about that. So we're going to go to his faith in God. That's the problem. Look at verse 5. Finally, these men said, we will never, if you got that Bible out, underline that word never, never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. See, that was the problem that they could find. Wasn't that his character was the problem, but it was his faith in God. See, Daniel's integrity and faith in God did not win him friends on all sides, but instead made him some powerful enemies. What does this teach us? That there may be times as you are a disciple of Jesus that you will be mocked, that you might be isolated, that there will be conflict or trouble being looked over or looked at as strange or weird because of your faith in Christ. Paul warned for Christians to know that this was going to be a reality in the book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 3, 4. And so, how does Daniel respond? Through prayer. See, over the 60 plus years, Daniel lived in Babylon, uh, he's learned to pray. It said that he would pray three times a day, giving thanks to God, and that this was a rhythm for his life. A rhythm. It said that he would face Jerusalem. Why is that? Commentators discuss this. They say it's probably to remember that God and his kingdom will always reign above any earthly kingdom. That he set his eyes towards Jerusalem, remembering that God is faithful. See, at this point, he's coming towards the end of his life, and he knew that it had already been prophesied in Jeremiah 29, but also in Jeremiah 25, that it would be a 70-year span that they would be in Babylon. And so he knew that any trials and any difficulties that he was facing are temporary. They were temporary. But for us, what happens? When we set our eyes on the problem instead of on God's solution, what happens? We get discouraged because we don't see that ultimately it's temporary. But this is what's eternal. Daniel set his eyes towards Jerusalem. And so let me ask, what rhythms are giving you strength to make it through the day? What practices are bringing you and me life in the midst of difficulty? For me, I have not been a natural prayer warrior. I'm just not, I, I just, I am very easily distracted it's easy for me to look more to the next thing that I've got to check off the list rather than sitting in silence. But I'm telling you, over the period of planting a church, being a pastor, there has been a process of breaking in my life where I understand that I can't make it through the day without God. Friends, I woke up this morning just praying, just thanking God for the morning, but knowing 
that I can't do it. But I'm telling you, it's taken time. And I need to continue to grow in the grace of God in this. Because it's prayer that really is the test of where our reliance is. Is it relying upon myself or is it relying upon God? We see him get to the end through prayer. Because it says that this was a habit that was in his life. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks, just as he had done before. Before what? Before all the trials and all the bad things started to come his way. Before he was about to get thrown in the lion's den, he's already praying. Right? And so there is a dependence in his life that God has built in him. See, the temptation is to believe, as we look at that first part of like, oh, yeah, Daniel's just a good guy. He's just got all of this integrity and all of this character. No, how did he get there? He got there because of God. That's the gospel, friends. It's not that Daniel was just this superhuman person, but it's that he placed his faith in God, trusted in God, that God started to shape him into the man that he became. And so for you and me, that's the same thing is true. We serve the same God today. And so what happened next? Daniel's enemies, they had this plan, they had this strategy to bring this charge against him. And one commentator, again, this won't be on the screen, but uh, Ian DeGid, he says, he says, Daniel's enemies knew that in order to bring a charge against him, they would have to engineer a clash between the law of his God and the law of the state. They knew if Daniel had to choose between obedience to his God and Persian authorities, loyalty to his God would come first. Daniel's enemies were totally confident that he would rather die than disobey his God. They knew that he would sooner go to uh, the lions than give up his practice of daily prayer. That's how resolute he was in his faith. That. His enemies knew, yeah, this is something he's not going to give up. He's going to continue to follow God, and that's where we're going to trap him. See, this was an unshakable faith. That's unshakable. Because he already, again, it says he knew what was going on. What's he do right after? Prayer time. Prayer time. Doesn't change anything for him. Why? Because lastly, a greater security. Look at verses 11 through 16. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you, did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or any human being except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree that you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, remember your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. 
the king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. Can you see the tension of this verse? Can you feel the tension here? Because we see that this king, who did not worship the same God as Daniel, was distressed and anxious over the fact that Daniel would be thrown into the lion's den. Friends, do you, do I have people in our lives that don't know Christ but might feel this, this tension if you, for your faith, were being mocked, were being made fun of, were being thrown down, were being torn down in any way? See, for King Darius, this was a step for him to grow closer to God, the God that he didn't quite know yet, but that he would experience through Daniel being thrown into a lion's den. See, where do we see Daniel have the greater security? Well, we see it two ways. The first one is that God is his help. Look, he found Daniel, they found Daniel praying and asking God for help, for help. What do we struggle with most just in life? Asking for help. I got it. I can figure it out. I can make my own schedule. I can do my own thing. I can can do it my own way. But to ask for help, we see that Daniel is asking for help. But not just anyone for help. He's asking God for help. Second is that this, as he's asking God for help, he knows that God is able to rescue. But not only Daniel does he know this, but also those Around him know this. So the king gave the order that they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Whom you serve continually, rescue you. See, do you believe that the results are ultimately in God's hands? How much of us worry, get discouraged, say, oh man, there, there's no hope in this situation or that situation, or this just, just seems too dark for any hope or any light to break through. But do you believe that ultimately the results are in God's hands? Os Guinness once said, God's work must always be done in God's way to see results that are worthy of God's reality and greatness. Daniel did not know whether or not he would be saved. He did not know. Just like we saw in Daniel chapter 3 with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They're thrown into the fiery furnace, didn't know what was going to happen, but said, hey, whatever you choose, Nebuchadnezzar, we're not going to stop serving our God. Whether he saves us or not, we're still committed to God. Why is it that he can do this? Because he knows that he has a greater security than the one that he had in the palace. There's a kingdom that's greater than the kingdom that he was serving in. See, is that hard for us to do when we start to see all of the things around us that point to, I don't even know if God's with me. Right, you're, you're, you're in a job, you're in a, in a situation where you're thinking to yourself, There's, I just don't sense that God could be with me right now because everything I'm doing, it's difficult, it's hard, it's like I'm going in the opposite direction, right? But God's saying I'm with you because there's a greater security that we have in him. And so just some takeaways. How can we live for God in all of life? Here's just a few. 
First one is this, believe that your work matters to God. Believe that your work matters to God. Why you work and how you work matters. Why you work and how you work matters. Listen to me. So uh, John Lennox wrote a book about the book of Daniel called Against the Flow. Here's what he says. He who has a why to live can bear almost any how. He has a why to live can bear almost any how. And so how does that work out into your life? Do you have the why? Do you have the why? Timothy Keller breaks this down in in this book right here. Here's what he says. He says, your Christian faith gives you a new spiritual power that keeps you from being overthrown by either success, failure, or boredom. Regarding success and failure, the gospel helps Christians find their deepest identity, not in our accomplishments, but who we are in Christ. This keeps our egos from inflating too much during seasons of prosperity, and it prevents bitterness and despondency during times of adversity. But while some jobs Uh, seduce us into overworking and anxiety others tempt us to surrender to drudgery only working for the weekend doing just what is necessary to get by when someone is watching paul calls that eye service colossians 3 22 through 24 and charges us to think of every job as working for god who sees everything and loves us That makes high-pressure jobs bearable and even the most modest work meaningful. Right? How does the gospel, how does the why of what Christ has done for us free us from not making our work our God or also making our work so that we are not despondent and discouraged so much that we give up? So that's the first one. Next one, consider your reputation in God's ways. Now, this is a tough one, right? you got to think about your reputation, not from the people that like you, but maybe the people that don't like you. Reputation has the ability to reinforce or tarnish the message. See, God cares about the seen and the unseen. And so let's ask, am I someone who jumps from job to job, not consistent? Am I someone who cares more about the paycheck then the people, right? All of these things matter. Titus 2, 7 through 8 says this, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Nothing evil to say about us, right? Might not agree with us, but they don't have anything evil to say about us. Lastly, plant seeds and trust God with the results. Now, this is an area where, specifically for you, God, you know what those seeds are. The seeds of showing up to work each day. The seeds of saying, you know what, I'm going I'm to have integrity in what I'm doing. I'm going to have character in what I'm doing. Like showing up each day with that and trusting God with the results that God ultimately will Bring to fruition those seeds that were planted. I've always loved Galatians 6 because in Galatians 6, 9, it says this, let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap 
if we do not give up. We will reap if we do not give up. But what does it talk about before that? In Galatians 5 and Galatians 6, it says sowing seeds, not in the, from the flesh, not from what you can do, but from the spirit, what God can do. See, because as you sow in the spirit of what God can do in his strength, God will sustain what he is doing. God always accomplishes his purposes. And so here's the temptation as we wrap up. For some of us, we think to ourselves, how do I become like Daniel? How do I do that? And we can walk out of this room today feeling this heavy burden and this weight of saying, I just got to be like Daniel. And that's the wrong message. It's the wrong message. See, this is the message, and it will always be the message. It's that Daniel didn't become Daniel because of Daniel. Daniel became Daniel because of God. God working in him. God working in ways that he couldn't have done. And ultimately, Daniel didn't, he, he knew that it was coming, but he didn't know what was coming because as he turned his eyes and he's praying towards Jerusalem, what was going to happen in Jerusalem? Centuries later, we know that there was a greater Daniel who came. And he walked the streets of Jerusalem and he was spit upon, mocked, torn down. They looked to tear down his integrity in every way possible. They say there's no way that he could be who he thinks he is. But he was. And they wanted to tear him down so badly that they said, we're going to take him all the way to the cross. We're going to put him in front of a court. We're going to judge him in front of a court, and we're going to put him on a cross, and they put him on a cross. And the work of God, they didn't realize it, but the greatest work was happening right before their very eyes. And those who came to Jesus in John 6, 27 through 29 says this. Jesus said this to them. He says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. Will give you. You didn't earn it, but he will give it to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? What do I got to do to be like Daniel? What do I have to do? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. You want to know the greater work? It's to trust in the work of what Jesus has done. To look at the perfect person that walked this earth, who truly had the integrity and the character like no one has ever had. And he went all the way to the cross and died for all the mistakes, all the sins, all the things, all the worst traits about us all of the fear all of the discouragement all of the things he took it on himself he bowed his head
and he said, it's finished. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that that work is greater than any work that you can do? Because when you believe that, then you'll start to see God in all of life, and you'll start to see how he's working all around you in ways that you couldn't have done. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that ultimately you didn't call us to be Daniel. You called us to trust in the work of Jesus and to look like Jesus. And so, Lord Jesus, thank you for this message today, this testimony of what you did in the life of Daniel. I pray that you, Lord, send more Daniels. We trust in you. We pray. We have integrity because it's you in us. Your work in us that changes us. We thank you, Lord, for your grace. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.